0: and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, And delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Please be seated. Thank you, Malcolm. Appreciate that. And Pastor Gary, thank you for your prayers, because it's been a while since I've been up to share God's Word, and... uh, With the amount of moisture on my hands, I can tell you I'm very nervous, even if I don't look like it. Uh, Got the butterflies here, but hopefully we got that worked out. So we read the Scripture this morning from the New International Version, um, but the study that I did for today's message is from the New American Standard Bible from the NASB, so it's uh, it's pretty much the same. There'll be a few words that might be out of place, but you'll be able to follow along. So... Uh, Let's start off with this. On June 25th, 2003, almost 10 years ago, I gave my life to our Lord Jesus Christ, and I surrendered myself. I got on my hands and knees at the Highland Golf Course, and I said, God, if you're real, you need to show me, and my life has never been the same since. Um, Now, here's something that uh, you might not know, is God was speaking to me through a number of things. I really wasn't reading the Bible yet, but I had the Scripture planted inside of me years earlier. I had read the Bible when I spent some time in jail, so I knew that God's Word was planted. But I was listening to music and radio stations and talking to people and watching movies. And in particular, there was one movie called Leap of Faith with Steve Martin. Has anybody heard of this movie? No? Okay. Well, let me share a little bit with you. Leap of Faith is about a preacher who made a living selling false miracles, selling false hope. He was a preacher that did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God, but he made a lot of money and got really rich traveling as an evangelist. And in this show, um, you know, God still used it to speak to me because even though this guy was pretending, there were people there that were starting to have miracles in their life. And for me, uh, by the end of the movie, I was moved because the preacher realized that Jesus was real and he had his life changed and he hung up his, uh, his jacket, you could say, and he left the ministry to begin his life as a follower of Jesus. But what bothers me about that film is that he used the gospel in the beginning to make money. He was a snake oil salesman. And Pastor Gary and I just went up to Edmonton on Monday to support the Christian organization called Young Life and uh, we tried to golf 100 holes in one day. And we did pretty good. We raised a lot of money. I got to 81 holes. But what stuck out for me was the time I spent in the hotel room with the remote control in my hand. Because I don't have cable and I don't get to uh, play that game at home. so. So I was flipping through the channels and I found the Christian channel, the Miracle Channel or whatever it was. And there was a gentleman, I think his name was Peter Popoff. He was a guy that I had recognized before who was from the front page of the newspaper who was caught. Uh, and charged with fraud uh, because he again was selling these false miracles, and yet here he was again on TV telling me that if I uh, just called in my donation of twenty five ninety nine before midnight, then within the month I was going to have that come back a hundredfold. And uh, again, it bothered me because that's a stumbling block for a lot of people who look at Christianity. It's you know what, these guys are just here to get our money. And that was a stumbling block for me. And to see that um, those scams are still uh, alive and well makes me think that we need to be on guard to protect ourselves from that sort of deception. Is it only me or is it kind of humming a little bit in here? It's It's okay? All right, so we live in a world full of scams and cons and abuses and people willfully taking advantage of others. And that makes me upset and it should make you upset But here's the question on the table. Do we get just as upset when people are taken advantage of spiritually? Because I think if somebody were to actually do a study on it, I bet there's probably more spiritual scams taking place than there are financial cons going on. So, obviously... Peter Popoff and uh, the guy from the movie Leap of Faith aren't the only snake oil salesmen out there. There's a lot of false preachers and false teachers out there that we need to be aware of. And I, they like to use the phrase uh, health, wealth, and prosperity preaching, teaching. And they prey on people who are in need, but they also prey on people's greed. You see, there's a lot of false teachers in this world of Christianity, and they're sharing a message that doesn't line up with the Word of God but instead it promotes and further's their own personal agenda which is to what to make money to get rich financial gain through the gospel of Jesus Christ gur and these spiritual scams and spiritual frauds and problems are increasing everywhere but why because people are deceived by false teaching and false preaching And this should make us upset because people are being hurt. People are being abused. And not only that, but God's word is being misused and meant to say something that it doesn't. But on the other side of that, it's also making our God look bad by people who are supposed to be actually the ones promoting the good news. They're the ones deceiving people's hearts. Spiritual deception is a problem today. It was a problem back when the Christian church first began, and it's going to be a problem in the future. Unfortunately, spiritual deception will always be a problem. So if you follow Jesus, or you're thinking about following Jesus, then you need to be aware, you need to be on guard to protect your heart from being deceived. And so, now this sets the the context or the setting for our scripture today, because Colossians chapter 2, you see, Paul is writing to a group of recent converts. And these are brand new, born-again Christians gathering together in this city of Colossae. I had mentioned earlier when I preached in the book of Colossians a few months ago that this area that Paul was preaching to included three cities, Areopolis, Laodicea, and of course the church in the city of Colossae. And he's writing to this region because spiritual deception is in the air. And there were false teachers that were beginning to infect the Christian churches of that area. And one of the church leaders named Epaphras decided that he needed to do something because he was concerned for his new disciples in the Christian faith. And he went to the head honcho himself, he went to the Apostle Paul, and he shared what was going on. Because these false teachings that were coming in were a very big deal. Because they sought to reshape the very gospel that these new believers had come to know and had their lives transformed by. These heretics were a mixed group. Some of them were trying to mix in Greek philosophy with the Christian faith, and others were trying to mix in Jewish legalism into the teachings of Jesus. And at first, many people began to see it as just another branch of Christianity. No big deal. It's just another denomination. Baptists over here, Catholics over here. we got the alliance in the back, evangelical. No big deal, right? But what the Apostle Paul writes and warns them in this letter is that it's not just another brand of Christianity. It's not even close. It's a complete departure from the Christianity that they believed first in altogether. Because what these false teachers wanted them to believe was a complete contradiction and direct opposition to what Jesus had already revealed. But here's the crux of the problem for the new Colossian believers and for us still today that false teachings are very slick and very smooth and very persuasive, as Malcolm read in verse 4. It was so comfortable because these false teachers were blending in things that they already knew with the things that they were currently learning. So their church leader, Epaphras, and the apostle Paul got very concerned that they might be led astray. And again, we're talking about first-generation followers of Jesus. And like I said earlier, these believers were really young at the time, and some of them might have been saved for five days or five years, maybe 10 or 15 at the most. This is very early, early on in the Christian faith. Now, so you have these young believers who are being led astray, and they're being taken advantage of by these false teachers that are coming in, and Paul, the apostle, the great apostle Paul, is 1,300 miles away in the city of Rome. Well, what can he do? He can't just show up and attack the false heretical teaching head on. So he's forced to do the only thing he can really do, which is to pray, which is not a bad thing to do, amen, and to write letters, letters that will expose the false teaching and guide them back over to the teachings and the ways of Jesus. And that's what today's scripture is in the book of Colossians is all about. Paul is saying, yes, I know they've got some very slick and persuasive arguments That's why I'm concerned for you. That's why I'm praying for you. That's why I'm struggling for you. This is why I'm wrestling in prayer with God so that your hearts will be guarded and protected from this deception. So this morning, the one big question that we got to get into is the how do we guard our hearts? It says why, but we're going to get into the why in a little bit. The how do we guard our hearts against deception? Because guarding our hearts against deception is crucial if you want to follow Jesus Christ. So let's start off with this. We guard our hearts as a Christian because you should always be wanting to know that what you're hearing is truth, especially if we want to share that with others, right? It doesn't matter if you're coming to Thornhill Baptist Church or any other church. The preacher should teach it and then back it up with the Word of God. Every time. And if he or she doesn't, then you and I have the responsibility to challenge them on it. You see, for Pastor Gary, Pastor Ken, and myself, we're trying to do the best that we can to get you grounded in the Word of God so that you know Him, so that we all know Him, and of course His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we all know the truth and we're all closely following Jesus Christ. And we can see for ourselves that what is being taught, whether it's here or anywhere, is actually grounded in the Scriptures. And the other part of this is that in the body of Christ here, we have people of all kinds in the TBC family. We celebrate fathers today, and we see that many of you are parents, and others of us might not be parents yet, but we're in some type of parenting role, either as um, a teacher, ministry leader, Sunday school teacher, Uh, teenagers, young people, we have some people who are in college, going to university, and there's many different types of people here at Thornhill, but as a church family, we want to lay a solid theological foundation for our young people, the next generation, amen? So as parents, as fathers, mothers, school teachers, life group leaders, junior high, senior high life group leaders, whatever it is, we're not always going to be around We're not always going to be sitting next to our kids, our student, child, teenager, and the moment that we hear something said that's not true and be able to tap them on the shoulder and point that out to them, say, that's not right, that's not right. There's going to be a university setting. There'll be a classroom setting. There's going to be a McDonald's or a Starbucks or a Tim Hortons conversation that our young people are going to be involved with, and somebody's going to say something that shakes the very foundation of the faith that they've come to believe, if... They're not grounded. So there's a number of reasons why we need to be concerned about guarding our heart against deception. And here's the last one. As Christians, we should have a deep desire to handle the Word of God correctly and properly. And when we do hear it used incorrectly, there better be alarm bells going off inside our spirit. There should be something inside of us that's anxious, something inside of us that's saying, that's not right, look out. Because you see, my friends, When you know the word of God and when the scriptures are a part of your very being of who you are There's no fancy preacher or or fancy teaching that's going to be able to sneak up on you Try and trick you into believing or following something that's not true But also you can't just sit back and listen and say nothing when you hear God's word taken out of context You can't just do nothing when you hear God's word being used the wrong way because there's something inside of you that rises up where the Spirit of God is saying to you, that's not right. Don't listen to that there. That's error. That's false. And as pastors, we want you to have discerning ears when it comes to God's voice. You see, it's not that we all, we, we, we become all righteous and holier than thou and pious and Ned Flander type, we're judgmental, self-righteous, and thinking that we're the only ones that have the truth. Nobody else has it. But instead, we want you to have discerning ears so that whatever you hear, wherever you are, whenever it's preached, you hear God's word the, the right way, you get excited and you rejoice because your spirit connects with it. But whenever it's used the wrong way, you're alerted to the fact that that wasn't right. So how do we guard our hearts against deception? Well, just the way we read today, the scriptures reveal in Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, some things that we can focus on. So with the rest of the time here this morning, we'll focus on this idea of guarding the heart. In fact, in verse 1, we find the apostle Paul's struggle is directly related to the heart. In verse 2, when he says that he struggles that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love. And attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. And what I want us to notice is that when he begins to talk about his struggle for their heart, it's the heart that becomes the subject of what continues to transition through the next several statements. You see, because what he is doing here, in other words, is he's praying that their hearts would be encouraged. He's praying that their hearts would be knit together with love. He's praying that their hearts would attain to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. Why? So that it will result in the true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Jesus Christ himself. And all of this now is hinging on you and I understanding what he's referring to when he keeps talking about the heart. When he says, I'm struggling here on your behalf, how could he struggle on their behalf? He's in Rome. He's struggling on their behalf in prayer. He's struggling as he's writing them. He wants them to be sure that they're not going to be led astray. So how is understanding the word heart going to unlock this text? Well, let me just say, let me teach you something that I learned myself about what the word heart means when it's used in Scripture. When the word heart is used in the Bible, we're referring to the whole being of the person the entirety of oneself it's the essence of who you are and so what I want to do is unpack a little bit of this amazing word called heart from the Bible with you so that we all know what Paul is talking about and what this message is talking about when we refer to the word heart I'm going to share a number of scripture verses on the screen behind me if you're jotting down notes you can take some notes I won't read all the scriptures but When we're talking about the word heart in scripture, we're using the word heart to refer to, number one, the center of your physical life. Heart is used as a metaphor for the person. Acts, Corinthians, James, the scriptures are there. You can read those and you'll see, again, number two, heart refers to the center of our spiritual life. God knows the heart. And the heart is used of mankind's spiritual life. Number three, it's the center of the fault life. Heart is talking about the intellect. And when the Bible refers to heart, the heart is synonymous with the mind. It's the center of our volition or our will. The heart is talking about our will. Number five, it's the center of emotion. It's where we feel. That's the actual feeling part. The heart is where we feel. Number six, it's the unique place of the Holy Spirit's activity within you. The Holy Spirit is in our heart. And last but not least, Jesus Christ is in our hearts. So when the Bible uses heart, it uses it metaphorically to refer to the entire being, the entire person, their thoughts, their emotions, their will, their attitude, their body, their spiritual life, their physical life. It's the... Everything, who you are at your very core, your motives, your actions, everything revealed in the essence of the individual. Things become a little bit more clear when you begin to understand what Paul is talking about when he's talking about their heart. And he's saying, I'm praying that your hearts would be encouraged, that your hearts would be knit together in love. I'm praying that your hearts would attain to the full measure of the wealth of the assurance of the knowledge of God. He's saying that he's praying for all of you. I'm praying that the complete part of you would be encouraged. I'm praying that your essence, your inner person, what makes you you, what makes you distinct, the fullness of who you are, I'm praying that all of this would be encouraged and strengthened and knit together in love so that it attains the wealth of the measure of the fullness of the knowledge of God. So, now, when you and I understand that about the heart, we see that this is not just some little pep talk that Paul has given. You know, just, everybody, let's just hug each other and go pet some kittens and find some puppies to play with. He's not saying that, you know, hey, guys, I really want you to be encouraged. I hope you just, let's get together and knit together in love. I want us to be solid Christians. But instead, he's saying, I'm struggling, the word that he uses here in the Greek is where we get our word agony from. In other words, he's saying, I'm agonizing over your whole being. I can't fight this battle for you, but I'm struggling on your behalf that God would strengthen your heart, strengthen your person, strengthen your emotions, strengthen your will, your resolve, strengthen who you are, and knit you together in love so that you attain the wealth of the fullness of the knowledge of God. Why? Well, the answer is found in verse 4. So that you're not led astray by persuasive arguments. And some of your translations might say, so that you're not led away by smooth talk or fine-sounding arguments. He's not just writing a letter. He says that he's agonizing over the brothers and sisters at Colossae. You see, my friends, one of the reasons why the beginning of Colossians chapter 2 is a great section in the Bible, because it gives us the opportunity to unpack this word called the heart. Because when you understand what the heart is referring to, then you see that it incorporates all of who you are, not just your mind. You see, because sometimes people look at church life and they say, you know what, I went to church on Sunday, he talked, I thought, I engaged my mind, everything's good, Uh, I'm okay, on with the rest of the day. But you see, God's not just after your mind. God wants to take over all of you, and that includes your emotions too. So it's okay to have emotions in church. You know, as Baptists, we get afraid if somebody shows a little bit too much emotion because we think they've turned charismatic on us. They've gone Pentecostal, but it's all right to have emotion in church. It's all right to be moved. Hey, when God takes over your whole body, your physical being, your spiritual life, your emotions, your will, your intellect, sometimes that means a hand's going to come up in church because he's taking over all of who you are. Sometimes your toes might start tapping like some of my Nigerian brothers and sisters, Sometimes that you're going to have to shake a leg a little bit like Swanee Burger or Mary Lou. Sometimes that means we're going to move when we're singing and we're worshiping Jesus. And that's not a bad thing. That's good. He's coming for your heart, your whole being. Once in a while, you're going to have to let out an amen or a hallelujah because He wants all of you, the total essence of who you are. He doesn't just want part of my life. He wants all of me. And the Apostle Paul here is praying earnestly that God would guard their heart and protect the whole part of these believers at this young church in Colossae. And that's what it's all about. That's what we're going for here. God is after our whole being. So you need to know that the Apostle Paul's desire and Pastor Gary's desire, Pastor Ken's desire, it's my desire that all of us would have our whole person transformed by the spirit of the living God amen now get this don't miss this part because it comes down to being either all in or you're all out with Christ trust me I learned this the hard way there's no in between there's no middle ground there's none of this I'm on the fence right now with the Lord it's nonsense you're either in or you're out and why because of this partially committed Christians are always in danger of deception. I didn't come up with that, but it sounds really good. But I did add that word always in. So we'll say it again. Partially committed Christians are always in danger of deception. Not sometimes, always. Now, most people, they don't want to be deceived, but also, you and I both know a lot of people think they can't be deceived. So we, we, we look at the big things and we say to ourselves, hey, I've been in church for a long time. I've been to Bible college. I know my Bible. I'm okay here. But have you noticed, usually it's not the big lies that lead us astray. It's those little ones. We're, we're deceived by these little lies, the ones that we want to believe, right? Because if somebody were to come up to you today and say, hey, Jesus is not the only way to heaven, Then hopefully, something inside of you, uh, the bells start ringing, the alarm goes off and says, hey, that's wrong, that's not what the Bible says. If someone were to come up to you after church today and say, Jesus was a good man, but he wasn't the Son of God, well, hopefully the bell starts ringing again because your mind and your conscience, you know that's not truth, that's not right. It's not the big lies that trip us up, it's those little ones, the ones that we want to believe. Let me share a few of those with you because... Come Monday morning, Tuesday morning, next week. Hey, even after church today, Father's Day brunch, these might come your way. Have you heard this one? There's nothing wrong with looking as long as I don't touch. Um, If you believe that lie, you will be seeing Pastor Gary or Pastor Ken shortly for counseling in his office. I guarantee it. Because before action ever comes, it already goes through the mind. And before it comes to the mind, it comes through the eyes. It's one of those things that it's not whether or not that if you look and don't touch, there's a lot of sin that takes place between the ears, amen? It's only on the mental side. For example, Jesus Christ said, you've heard it written, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is saying that if you've already, you've already sinned at that point. If the only criteria for measuring sin is whether or not we do or do not act, then what do you do with sins like jealousy or pride or revenge or rage, lust, hatred, defiance, rebellion? These are sins of the mind. Nobody else can see them. He's saying that they are deception. They are lies. Here's another one. I worked hard this week. I deserve to let off some steam. Well, my friend, there's nothing wrong with working hard and enjoying the fruit of your labor and having a great time. But whenever the statement becomes an excuse to enter into sin, you just cross the line, my friend. How about this one? I know what the Bible says, but this person really loves me. Or how about this? This is a great opportunity. Or this way is a lot quicker. How about this lie? This way just makes sense for me. It's a lie that you want to believe, but it's deceptive, and it's still going to lead to your destruction. Here's another one. I didn't lie. I just didn't tell the whole truth. One more. It might not be completely ethical, but that's just the cost of doing business these days. That's a lie. One more. I know it's wrong, but it's just temporary. Now, my friends, can I tell you something? temporary sin is still sin. I know this one because I struggled with it. I wrestled with it. It doesn't matter to God. If you try and convince him that you're only going to indulge in it for a short period of time, it's still sin. Unfortunately, I had to learn the hard way with this one. In fact, temporary sin, where we just try to lie to ourselves and pretend it's only for a little while, you know, this is Satan is just using this to get to that place in your life where you're comfortable with a lifestyle of sin. So that the barriers go down and you think it's okay to continue in that lifestyle afterwards. A wise man once said, sin will take you further than you want to go. It will cost you more than you're willing to pay. And it will keep you longer than you're willing to stay. Sin will never stay where you leave it. But if you leave an opening for the enemy, he will come in and exploit it. So when Paul is praying for this group, just remember that he's praying for everything. The totality, the completeness, the fullness of who they are. He's praying for their mind, their spirit, their will, their emotion, physical life, spiritual life. I'm praying that all of them will be strengthened. I'm praying that all of them will be united together, knit in love. I'm praying that they would attain to the fullness of the wealth of the knowledge of God. Paul was praying for a complete takeover. It's the full meal deal, right Alpha? Alpha works at McDonald's, so uh, he knows about the full meal deal. Yes. So here we are. All of this discussion about the heart so far sets up the closing three points, and it'll move smoothly and quickly from here. Now, we started with, how do I guard my heart against deception? Each of these three points that I'm going to share with you about guarding the heart, I'll use the key phrase of the day, and that is, our entire person. I'll put that at the front of each, each one of these points. Because I want to remind us, in light of everything we just talked about, that the heart is not just some mushy thing where we're simply referring to emotions, but it's the whole part of who you are. So let's put that phrase, our entire person, in front of these each three points. How do you guard your heart against deception? Well, our entire person needs to be strengthened and encouraged. The word for encouraged in verse 2 means to come alongside, to appeal to, to summon to, to comfort, to strengthen, to exhort, or to encourage. Now, based upon the setting of the, the Colossian church here, they're facing this false teaching coming in, and they're under theological attack. The idea of encouragement and strength seems to be the meaning that comes out here. Be strong. You're under attack. When we look at today's scripture, Paul is praying that God would strengthen their whole person, and he's praying that God would encourage their whole person. And no matter what English translation that you're reading, you're going to find those two words used in almost all translations, encourage and strengthen. And in verse 1, Paul says, I want you to know how I'm struggling on your behalf, and also for those in Laodicea. That verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged. The only thing that Paul could do at this point, really, like we said, is pray. Because he's not there with them. He's praying that these things would happen and then he writes to them to expose the false teaching and point them back to the simplicity of following Jesus Christ. And Paul does this with a lot of the churches in the New Testament. He shares in a similar letter to the Ephesians. He prays that that group would be strengthened as well. Ephesians 3.16, Paul is praying that he Encourages those Christians about being strengthened by the Holy Spirit. And here's a good study commentary. Here's what a good study commentary can reveal. I learned this out, I thought it was pretty cool. John chapter 14, 15, and 16. That's where you go when you want to learn about the Holy Spirit of God. And in the Gospel of John, he talks about the Holy Spirit, that he lives in us, that he's our guide, the Holy Spirit is our helper. And the word that is used for the Holy Spirit in John is the root word of the word that we're talking about here in Colossians 2 for the word encourage. I think that's pretty cool. I'm a Bible scholar or Bible college junkie. That's pretty neat because what it means is the Holy Spirit of God is the one that's calling you alongside of himself. He's the one that's going to give you the strength. He's the one that's going to give you the comfort, the encouragement. He's the one that you need. Paul is praying that the Colossians would come alongside the Holy Spirit of God so that he would strengthen and encourage them. Because if the Holy Spirit is immersed within your whole life, if the Holy Spirit completely fills up the whole being of who you are, your mind, your emotion, your will, your spiritual and physical being, if all of it is connected with God's Holy Spirit, then my friends, you're going to be pretty safe out there in this world. You're going to be protected a long way against being deceived spiritually. And if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, man, I want to get involved in this, then all you got to do is submit the entirety of who you are to Jesus Christ. I did it almost 10 years ago today. Life has never been the same. Give your life to Jesus. He promises to fill you with His Holy Spirit and give all of yourself to Him. Leave nothing back. How do you guard your heart against deception? Number two, our entire person needs to be united in love with other believers. Not just our mind, but our entire person. Yes, the Holy Spirit does give us strength from on high, but the Holy Spirit uses people to strengthen us. Did you know that? I know we mentioned it already, but... It's important that if we're going to keep on saying that again and again, isolated Christians are easy targets for the enemy. If you're going to live a life by yourself, you are prey for spiritual deception. Because when Christians are isolated, they don't have other believers around to challenge their view of God, their view of the Bible, what they're currently believing or how they're currently acting. And they're left to themselves. And of course, what happens when we're left to ourselves? We always think we're Right? a pretty scary place to believe, to be in. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. And if we read the Scriptures all by ourselves with nobody else around, then we're just going to see what we want to see. We're going to believe what we want to believe. If we don't have any accountability or anybody challenging us on our viewpoints, you cannot be a Christian all by yourself. If you want to guard against spiritual deception, then your entire being, your entire person needs to be united. Knit together with brothers and sisters in the Lord. And as today's scripture puts it, yes, knit together in love because it's a dangerous place for a Christian to be living a life alone because you can convince yourself of many things that just simply are not true. Your mind will fool you. Even when you think you're right, you might actually be wrong. Trust me, from experience and from witnessing others, isolated Christians are always in danger of deception. God has created His church to be a community, to be a family, and to be part of that community means that we challenge each other, we admonish each other, we teach, we exhort each other, we live life together. My students and I, we just, we learned this over and over, most recently on our trip to Edmonton to the youth conference, and yesterday at Camp Caroline for the work weekend, we learned this point, that a part of your spiritual growth can only happen in community, it's with your, when you're with other believers and you have to wrestle with things and work things out. There's no way of getting around it. You and I can only go so far following Jesus by ourselves. We're created to be in relationship. We're created to be in community with others. And not only that, but being in a community, a family, the body of Christ means you have a certain amount of protection from deception simply just because you're connected to one another. If you've ever watched the animal kingdom or uh, animal planet, you see the spiritual principle at play. The lion never goes after the pack, does he? The lion always goes after the lame one, the ill one, the one who's sick on the fringe at the back of the pack. And when you watch those shows, you see that the one that strays away from the pack, and you're just thinking, okay, here it comes. lion's going to get him. See the separation? The lion attacks, and that person's dead. Well, it's the same way with us. That's why we need each other. That's why we need to stay together, to protect each other. God put us together in a community to look out for one another. And if you ever feel yourself falling away from biblical community, you see somebody else straying away, isolating themselves, I guarantee they're going through something. That's your warning sign. Deception's on the way in their life. They're going to be attacked. They're going to be taken down. We need to help them. So don't stray down any path alone. God is giving us the body of Christ, the church, you and me, to do this thing together, to live life, to be a community that protects one another and looks out for one another. Amen? So how do we guard our hearts against deception? Our entire person needs to be strengthened and encouraged. Our entire person needs to be united with other believers. And the last one, our entire person needs assurance of understanding. And simply this, without the assurance of understanding with other believers, we're going to miss out on all that Jesus has for us. The blessings and the joys that come out of a relationship with the King. If you have any doubts that you are complete in Jesus Christ, you're going to continue to live like somebody who's broken. If you have any doubts that when Jesus Christ died on that cross and he said, it is finished, if you are still doubting that he meant that, you're going to keep praying for the forgiveness of sins. You see, my friends, Paul is praying for these Colossian believers so that they can have the assurance of the things that are available in a relationship with the King, our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is praying that their entire persons would have the assurance of the understanding resulting in the true knowledge of God, to know that they are 100% holy To know that they are 100% accepted by God. That when God looks at us, He looks at us through His Son, Jesus. And He sees the perfection of Jesus. Not us and our brokenness and our sinfulness. Because that's gone. The new has come. We have a lot of possessions in Jesus Christ, but many Christians forget that, or some of them have never been told that. You are a child of the King, a child of the living God. you got a seat at the table of God. You have the mind of Christ. The Bible says that the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the grave is the same Spirit that dwells in His followers today. He says that every believer has been given spiritual gifts, been given wisdom and knowledge. And it's available to each and every one of us who possess a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul is praying, oh God, with the whole heart, whole body, mind, emotions, their will, their spiritual life, their physical life. May it get to the point where they're fully assured of the wealth of the knowledge of what they have in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when you know what you already have in Christ, you'll stop asking God for the same things over and over, and you'll start living in grace. You see, friends, it's not that we don't have everything we need to live a life of godliness and holiness and a life of abundance to be successful. It's that we've chosen to believe the lie of the enemy that says, we've been deceived, opposed to just believing what Jesus has already told us about our relationship with Jesus Christ. Gary has said this to me quite often about the Bible. I can be all that this book says that I can be, and I can do all things that the Bible says I can do. And the Apostle Paul is praying that these believers would tap into the wealth of the knowledge of the things that they have in God, and that they would be fully assured of the things they have in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So there you have it, my friends. This is the benediction. Our How do you guard your hearts against deception? Our entire person needs to be strengthened and encouraged. Our entire person needs to be united in love with other believers. And our entire person needs assurance of understanding. When you put all three of those together, there's no need to worry about spiritual deception because your heart will be guarded. Everything about who you are, your entire being, will be guarded from deception when those three points from Colossians chapter 2 are implemented into your life, just like Paul exhorted the believers in Colossae to do. With that, my friends, let us pray and be on our way to celebrate Father's Day. Father God, we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you that because of Jesus, we come out of the darkness, we come into the light, and we have life and we have life to the fullest, and we don't have to worry about doing this alone because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, and you've given us a wonderful family here at Thornhill Baptist Church to be a part of. I love you, Jesus, and I pray that you continue to reveal who you are to my brothers and sisters in this room. And now as we go from this place, God, may the Spirit of God continue to change us and transform us so that wherever we are on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, we are a light in that place. So that other people can know the grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray, and all of God's children said, amen. amen. Be blessed, my friends. If you're a father or you play a fathering role, there are chocolate bars in the foyer. It's Father's Day. Grab a chocolate bar on your way out. Be blessed. Amen. See you later.